If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we're continuing our series in the Ten Commandments. We are in week three, uh, the third commandment. And if you have your bulletin with you, you kind of see the format that we use in all of these commandments that we're going through. And I think they're very important questions for us to ask. And the first question is, you'll see in the bulletin, we'll go through, what does this mean for Israel, right? We live in a culture that's uh, very different. Over uh, 3,000 years ago, these uh, commandments were given. And so we need to talk about how they uh, lived, how they worked in uh, God's commands to the people of Israel. And then we'll kind of look at, you know, the, the commandments. Sometimes we think, oh boy, the rules. And we've got to remember the commandments were a good thing, that they protected the people of Israel and their blessings. So the second thing is, is what does the commandments protect us against? And then the third is, of course, to bring it into our daily lives, 3,000 years later. Uh, what does this commandment have to say and do with us? And alongside of that, we always have to look at, what did Jesus have to say about it? The, the Jesus is uh, our Lord and Savior. He is the revelation of God in the flesh. And so, we, of course, we have to look at what Jesus has for us today. And I think we'll see that um, in commandment number three. As we look in chapter 20, we'll look at verse 7. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One verse. Pretty straightforward. Don't misuse God's name. Uh, happy Father's Day. Go in peace, right? Should be my shortest sermon yet. If you know me, you know we're going to go a little deeper than that. Uh, last week we talked about the rule versus the command. Uh, and this is one, you know, as growing, I don't know if you grew up like me, uh, but in my growing up, this was one that I was kind of quick on my parents' lips to make sure I didn't use, in the traditional translation we're going to talk about, don't use the Lord's name in vain, all right? So don't use the Lord's name in vain. And, um, you know, we talked about last week how the rule can kind of trip us up. Uh, the rule here that we, most of us grew up on is, is good, and it applies to this commandment, right? How we were raised that we should not flippantly or as an expletive use God's name. And so if you hear me, don't hear me as we go deeper into this, uh, what it meant for Israel. I'm not taken away from that. But I will say, if you stop there and just say, oh, you know, don't, you know, make sure you say gosh and not God, that you, you really are stopping. You're not even getting to the true import and the heart of the command. All right. Uh, so that's good. Raise your kids. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't uh, use it idly in common speech for nothing or expletive purposes. But really, the heart of this command goes so much deeper than that. Um, and so the rule is good, but the command goes much deeper. And if we stop at the common rule, then we're not getting to the heart of the true command that God was giving Israel at the time. These first three commands are really God's exclusive claim uh, on Israel. And this is furthering what that exclusive claim means for them. And as we look at what this may mean for Israel, if we can imagine 3,000 years, I don't know if you've ever looked in your, uh, the Bible, it's kind of hard for us to imagine. I, have you ever seen where an Israelite was taking God's name as an expletive in the Bible? No. That would have that been something they would have never dreamed. It was not in their culture to even think about. They treated God's name with great reverence. Um, you always, in an ancient culture, you always treated the, the God you served, the name of the God you served, with reverence. So as we're even thinking about importing into our, our own culture, 
Uh, our culture's use of it as an expletive, I, I don't agree with. I think that is wrong. D- don't do it. But that's come about in recent times, probably in response to this command, now it's been used. If we think of ancient times, they weren't tempted to say, to stub their toe and say Jesus, or, they, you know, Old Testament times, so to say Yahweh. And that's another thing. Let me, when we say the Lord your God, when you see Lord capitalized in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament, that is referencing the true name of God, Yahweh. And out of reverence, the Jewish tradition, they never write or speak the name of God given to Moses. And we're going to talk about that, Yahweh. So I hope most of us know this. We've talked about this as a church, but if you're new with us today, and when you see the Lord, so when it says in the commandment, don't use the Lord, Lord's name in vain, it is saying don't use Yahweh's name in vain. We're going to see how that applies, but something you should know about. Uh, so so if, they weren't, if they weren't tempted to use it as an expletive, then what really are we talking about? Um, well, let's look at the ways they use God's name in reverence, right? Because here's what Israel understood, and ancient people understood, and we've got to come back to this understanding, that there's power in a name, Amen. right? And we just sang about that. And there's definitely power in God's name and in Jesus' name. And they treated, they knew there's power in the name, right? That, and I know we, we kind of sing about that in church, and that's kind of church language to talk about that, but our culture, that's really not a part of our culture anymore, right? We talk about reputation, but there's, they, they really understood there was real power when you gave a name. Here's, here's what David did. I love this when we were looking at 1 Samuel in our Bible study on Wednesday nights. David comes before Goliath, and what does he tell Goliath? He says, Goliath, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, you come to me in the power of this world with the weapons of war. But you know what, Goliath? You know what I come to you with? I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, Yahweh of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. I come to you in the name. And what did we see prevailed in David and Goliath? The name of God. David wasn't just being cute. He really believed coming in the name of the Lord gave him power over to Goliath. And that's where his faith uh, uh, rested. Uh, we see this in the New Testament too. Uh, Peter is going through in Acts chapter 3 and a, a, a beggar is, a crippled beggar is uh, asking money from them and, and Peter says, uh, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. The early church knew and that in the name of Jesus there came power. Real power, I'm not trying to be flippant, that the name of Jesus could heal people. It could bring healing and restoration and peace and salvation. So there's real power uh, and for ancient Israel. And uh, so in thinking in ancient culture, though, to have that name then, for a God to give you that name, the God's name, it, it was giving the people power, but it was also making God a little bit vulnerable, right? Because when you had the name of person, uh, somebody, it's almost like, uh, I was trying to think of it in today's culture, it's kind of like if you gave someone your cell phone, right? Your cell phone number, now they can text or call you any time of the night, you know? It's kind of, you got to be careful who you give your number out to. Really, it's almost more like this. Uh, giving God's name was almost like giving someone your social security number. Ooh, that's scary, right? Why? Because now that person has power over you. 
Um, and that's what it's like for God to give Israel his name because the name carries the power of the God with it, right? And so now God, God's name is kind of open to abuse. God's name is out there for Israel to bear and to bear faithfully, but now God's kind of vulnerable. In fact, though, I, I kind of would liken it in God giving uh, Yahweh, the name Yahweh to Israel, it kind of is like giving the last four the social, right? Uh, because God doesn't disclose the fullness of who he is. He says, I will be, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. One commentator said it like this. It's kind of like, I am who I am, and I will say no more. There's still a hiddenness. Even with the name that God gives Israel, we can't grasp fully the infinite, almighty nature of God in that. All right, so God gives, there's a, there's a vulnerability, there's a relationship with giving the name because there's power in the name. And this power would have been divided two ways. And this actually really applies to our culture. The ancients would have understood there's really two powers of a name, right? What are those two powers? The first, th this is easy. You're going to get this. You're going to be like, oh. The first power of uh, any god, but for Israel, God's name, is to bless, right? That's the power of God in our speech, that we can go to someone and we can say what? God bless you. And sometimes we do that flippantly, but for Israel, if you think of uh, the blessing, may the Lord God bless you and keep you, may he make his face shine upon you, that was power to bless. To receive the blessing in the Old Testament, as you see, is a big deal. So if you put God's name and attached it to a blessing, that carried the power of God to bless. So we say that. We know that in our culture. God bless you, right? What's the opposite of bless? To curse. In the, in the ancient culture of Israel, they understood to use God's name to curse was a great power. And let me put it in modern day terms and don't come, go out of here and say pastor's cussing. What's the opposite of God bless you? God damn you. And we should shudder hearing that. Is that, that is probably the most profane use of God's name that you can do. But the ancients, just not even just ancient Israel, but ancients in general understood the power of the name could be used to curse and to cause harm and to bring God's punishment upon people. So there was two powers of the name of God in the ancient culture. And so for God to give them the third commandment is basically to say this. Well, let me, let me go here first. Let, let me talk about what it means in Hebrew, right? And so we, the traditional uh, translation of the phrase is don't use the Lord's name in vain. The Hebrew word there, hang with me. I know all of us don't like Hebrew, but I think it's really important because this translation really determines how a major commandment functions in our life. The Hebrew word there is lasaw. And it can be translated to emptiness. It can be translated to falsehood. But most scholars are realizing that really it carries with it a deeper power. Um, one of the good ways to understand how a he uh, another word works in another language is to see, all right, let's look at another place it's used, right? So let's look at, at the book of Isaiah. Um, the book of Isaiah, he, he's bringing kind of judgment uh, on Israel. And this is what he says. When you come to me, what's what God says, Israel? When you come to appear before me, who... Who asked this from your hand? He's talking about sacrifices. You trampled my courts no more. Bringing offerings is futile. 
That's my, my translation says, that's lasal. Bringing offerings is lasal. Incense is an abomination to me. So I don't know if you caught it there, lasal, kind of futile, it's connected to the word abomination here, kind of used in a parallelism, right? So they're being kind of connected very strongly. Here we see lasal really carries with it the idea of harm. Basically, anybody heard of the, the, the biblical translation, the message? I kind of like it. You know, it kind of it gets to the heart sometimes more than other translations do it. Uh, it. This is what it says for the third commandment, how it translates LaSalle. No using the name of God, your God, in curses or silly banter. God won't put up with irreverent use of the name. So I think uh, Eugene Peterson there in the translation of the message really gets to the heart of it, that you are not to use God's name for harm, for curses, to do damage to people. And we're going to see why that is. But the, the, the third commandment really is restricting how Israel, if you were to bear God's name, this commandment restricts how you're to use it. And this is really inherent in the name. Is the name of God, I will be who you say I am? No. God's name, Yahweh, really means I am who I am. I determine who I am. You don't. So when you use my name, don't attribute things to me that shouldn't be attributed to me. Don't use my name for harm, to curse people. I am not allowing you to use my name like that. You have to use my name faithfully. Um, and we're going to see how this plays out. But really, the third commandment at the heart of it, I think NRSV kind of does a good, the translation we looked at does a good gen general. No wrongful use. And that's a big umbrella. Do not use the name of the God wrongly. Um, and God is serious about this one. Why? Because his reputation is on the line. This is a very specific commandment to the people of God. If you're going to represent me, if you're going to bear my name, you have to represent it faithfully. All right, let's, let's look at what it means. Uh, well, what did this protect Israel from? Our second point. What did this protect Israel from? Really, this protected them in their relationship to God. It primarily protects God. Like we said, it, it protects his reputation. Because Israel now is going to bear the name of God and they're carried power with that and also the power and the reputation of God, so they need to use it faithfully. Um, and so what was the reputation of God that God wanted to protect? I think that's a fair question. And we see this uh, in the book of Exodus, actually around the Ten Commandments. We need to keep these in context. So let me just turn to story time real quick, and I think this will help situate it. I know this has kind of been a lot of Hebrew and language, blah, blah, blah. It's not been blah, 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 blah. But sometimes I can see on some faces, it's like the Peanuts cartoon and the teacher's up there, blah, 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 blah. Uh, don't let that be you. Um, all right, so here's story time, right? Uh, story time is Exodus chapter 33. You can turn with me if you want to, um, but you don't have to. I'll just give us a summary. Exodus 33, Moses is tired of his job already. Um, he went up to Mount Sinai, and he had an amazing encounter with a living God. He received the Ten Commandments, uh, and he comes down the mountain, and the people are already worshiping an idol. They're bowing down to the golden calf. And he breaks the commandments. He's like, I'm done with this nonsense, right? He's tired of it. He's over it. I would be too. Um, pastors never feel like that. But um, so he comes down, and uh, God's angry. And you know, kind of fast forward in, in chapter uh, 33, 
um, God has basically said, all right, they, they go through some judgment, and we don't go into their people get cold from the, the people of God for their sin. Um, but basically God says, okay, here's the compromise. I'm not going to go with you to the promised land because if, if I go with you, I'm going to snuff you out in a second. You guys are so stiff-necked. You get on my nerves so bad, I'm going to snuff you out in a second. And Moses says, no, 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 wait. We can't go without you. We can't. Don't send us from this place without your presence. We can't go without you. And God says, okay, I'll go with you. And then chapter 33, Moses realizes he's kind of gotten on God's good side. He knows who God is. And so Moses gets a little bold, right? right? Moses gets bold and he says, and we just sang about this. He said, God, show me your glory, I pray. Show me your glory. And God says, Moses, I know you, so I will. This is what I'll do, Moses. I will pass before you. And I will proclaim to you, hang with me, see the connection. This is around the Ten Commandments. I will pass before you and I will proclaim the name to you. And if you have your Bible open, look at what God says next. Connected to the name. I will proclaim my name to you and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious to. And I will show mercy on who I will show mercy to. Do you see it? This is the glory of God. As so Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, okay, I'm going to come before you. I'm going to say the name and reflected in the name is my glory. I will show mercy and grace to whoever I want to show it to, Moses. You don't get to put a barrier on that. The third commandment basically says, how dare you try to use my name to curse or harm anyone? That is not your position. You don't have that power. I'm not giving it to you because I will show mercy on whoever I'll show mercy to. Do you see the awesome power of the name and yet the restriction God places on it. Because why? Because the name reflects who God is. Fast forward a little bit in chapter 34. Moses, uh, that, that's not actually when that encounter goes up. Moses goes back up to the mountain to meet with God to receive the new Ten Commandment tablets that he broke, right, out of anger. He received the new Ten Commandments of God, and then we see God does pass before Moses. I mean, it's an incredible encounter, unlike anything we see in the Old Testament. And God passes before Moses. He has to hide him, right? He can't see him face to face or he'd die. He hides him behind a rock. And God passes before Moses, and he says the name, Yahweh, Yahweh. And here, I'm sharing this with us because this shows the character of, of the God, the name it represents. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. 
yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is the character of God, and we're going to get to shortly. That's what we see in Jesus Christ. This is revealed in Jesus in its fullness, and that's what we see. And you might say, Andrew, what about that last part? That last part about God, that sounds a little scary, right? I'm going to pay for it. Have you done the math on that yet, though? Have you done the math? It's actually incredible. Faith, steadfast love to the thousandth generation. Let's just do a little math. If an average generation lasts for 70 years, if you have someone that loves God and is faithful to him, a thousand generations later is 7,000 years later of God's faithfulness compared to a third and fourth generation, 200 and some odd years. Do you see even the grace and the compassion and the love of God in that? What he's saying is, I'm not about pardoning guilty. I'm not just saying everybody's okay, but I am abounding in love and goodness and mercy. That is what my name represents. So here's the third commandment. Don't you dare use it for anything else. Don't use the power of God's name wrongfully to curse, to harm, to weaponize it. Because that is not who I am and you are representing me. All right, so let's bring it into our generation. Let's look at Jesus here. And I think, uh, as I mentioned, the power of, like, I love Exodus 34 and this encounter with God and who reveals the heart of God to be, because Jesus really just puts flesh on that, does he not? Jesus reflects God to be merciful and gracious where we would not expect God to be. That was actually the big problem with Jesus, all the outsiders, all the, the untouchables, the cursed, the dirty, the unlovable. He loved them. He had compassion on them. That's what the Pharisees said. Hey, you're eating with sinners and, and prostitutes. And he said, yeah, that's what the Son of God came to do. Hear me, folks. In fact, I think the perfect story that really encapsulates this is John chapter 8. You don't need to, we all know this story. The woman caught in adultery, right? Think about the name of God. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees thought they were representing the name of God. They thought they owned the corner on the name of God. And so, as it stated in the law, they get, came together in John chapter 8, and they found a woman caught in adultery, and they, well, it says in the Bible, we're going to stone her. So here we are to stone her. And Jesus comes and says, hey, what's going on here? Remember, what did God say his name was? I will be merciful to those who I will show mercy. And I'll be gracious to those who I want to show grace to. Jesus comes to the woman caught in adultery and says, I'm here to show mercy and forgiveness in her life. I don't care what you say. This is what God looks like in the flesh. Oh, it drove the Pharisees and the Sadducees nuts. They couldn't handle it. Do you see that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were actually the ones that are using God's name to what? To harm people, to hurt people, to curse them, to put a bit heavy burden on them, and they did not represent God. In fact, they turned and cursed God in the flesh, and they hung him on a tree. I hope we can see the danger and the power in using 
God's name, that we must do it faithfully. So as we look into our own lives and say, okay, pastor, I see that in Jesus. I see that Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. Jesus came not to divide, but to reconcile us, not to send us to hell, but to bring us into heaven, into the kingdom of God. He came for the sick, not the healthy. I see that in Jesus, and I see it in Exodus chapter 34, but what does it mean for me, right? So let me say there's two really ways I think this plays out in our world, and I think these are obvious, and then I'm just going to talk about a little bit ways that, through my own discipleship, how I feel about using the name of God in our world. Um, the main thing, though, I think, if you hear nothing from this import, and I think you've already heard it, so I'm not going to belabor the point, really, is don't turn God's name into a weapon. Don't use God's name to beat people over the head. And I really think, as I said, I think this is heightened. The, the, height, the most profane way we can do this is to, in, or not flippantly, but even earnestly say to someone or even have the feeling, God damn you. That is the worst possible use of God's name that I do not want to be in your shoes if you say that to somebody in earnest, right? I think that is the pinnacle of what this commandment defends against. But I think, as we see in the Gospels, that religious people can still do this, that we can turn God's name into a weapon to beat people over the head with, to demean people, to scare people, to place fear in their lives, to demean who they are or what they mean to God. I think some preachers do this. I think sometimes when a preacher only knows hellfire and brimstone, they are weaponizing the name of God because they are not representing the God who is reflected in Exodus 34 and 33, let alone the Gospels of Jesus Christ. So the name of God must re be represented faithfully so we are not allowed to use, to weaponize it. Uh, you know, I like to think about it this. When you're using God's name, it better be gospel. And by that, I mean good news. Amen? When you utter the name of God, it better be good news or don't even bring God into the conversation. Because I don't want to be caught misusing the name of God and applying something to God that shouldn't be applied to God. You may have your own thoughts and opinions, but just don't back it up with God. Right? Say, I think, I feel. And we see even Paul do that. A place where he wasn't sure. He said, this comes from me, not the Lord. Right? He wanted to be clear about that in Scripture, and we should as well. But do never weaponize God's name. Never beat people over the head with it. Why? Because you may be driving them further away from God. You know you have that power? You have an awesome power to either draw or repel people from God, how you use his name. So you, we need to be careful as people of God. You say, Pastor, what about, isn't, shouldn't we warn people about judgment? Um, well, I mean, in there, yes. We should. But judgment, we just need to be clear. We're not the one seated on the throne, amen? We're not the one seated on the judgment seat, amen? I will show mercy to whoever I have mercy on. So we warn people about the destruction of sin and the pain it can cause in your life. But then we better back it up with heaps and loads of because God loves you and you are God's child and he wants to bring you home and he can redeem you and save you and forgive you. There's so much good news to focus on. Don't focus on the bad. And if you're ever talking about the bad, you blame sin, right? And the choices that we make, you never put on God. So don't weaponize 
Don't make God's name bad news. Don't use it to curse people, even in religious terms like the Pharisees did. On the flip side, though, I th- do think we see in Scripture, and, th- and this, we have to be careful with this, that the prophets sometimes, they accused uh, priests and, and other prophets of saying peace, peace, when there is no peace, right? Another place, uh, the prophet Hosea says that they, the priests are feeding on the sins of people. What they meant by that is saying, you're benefiting from people's sins, right? You're not telling them to stop sinning. You're benefiting from it. I think there's a misuse of God's name of when we see brokenness and sin in the world and or in people's lives and we just say, it's all okay. It's good. It's good. Don't worry about it, right? Because that's actually harming people. That's allowing them to, to, to stay in the destructive patterns of sin and really, that's using God's name to almost bless sin, right? And so we should not ever think about doing that. Um, and I, I think this can happen in a multitude of ways. When we try to, sometimes I see Christians trying to defend people as in faith terms that we have no business defending. If you want to defend somebody, defend them, but don't bring God's name into it, or you better be sure that you're attaching God's name to them in the right way. You hear what I'm saying? Um, and so don't bless sin, basically. Um, when we present the Christian faith without the demands of righteousness, if, if we say that there's forgiveness without repentance, if there's a Christian life without discipleship, without sacrifice, we're not presenting the gospel in faithful terms, right? Uh, and so we're attaching God's name to something that really doesn't reflect God and, and really the demands of God. When we look at the relationship that Israel is demanded on, they had to sacrifice. They had to give up, right? So there's two sides of the corn. We, we can curse people. We can use God to like just hammer people. But then we also shouldn't just say, hey, man, it's all okay, you know, um, to use God's name. But let me, let me share a few more practical things that I feel convicted about, and I really believe that this is a larger umbrella about the misuse, the wrongful use of God's name. And I just have a few I want to share with us. Um, while I do feel very convicted about these, you, you may take it in slightly different terms, but I think at least these are things we need to think about that are happening in our culture today. And really, I would term all of these in what I would say are selfish uses of God's name. And I think you'll see what I mean by that. How we can sometimes be tempted to use God just to back up whatever we want. Have you ever met anybody like that? I just... Yep, God told me, God said, this is what God wants. And you know, when we have five million people walking around saying that, then God looks schizophrenic sometimes. So we need to be careful how we use that. One of the ways I feel very uncomfortable when people use God's name or bring God's name into the conversation, when they have a stake of financial gain involved. I I believe business owners should be able to talk about their Christian faith, and we should be able to be open by that. But I feel comfortable, and I would not want to be in your shoes if you are using the name of God to advertise or try to get more business or to make a deal or to try to gain something for yourself. Do you see how? I don't want you bringing my name into that. Do you see how that I would be very uncomfortable using God's name to benefit myself financially? I'm not saying people can't be open about their faith, but if we're just using the name of God to benefit ourselves... That's a wrongful use. And in a connected avenue, I, I feel very uncomfortable when people use the name of God for political purposes. 
When people try to back up a certain candidate or a certain party or a certain place and they try to attach the name of God to it, they are walking on very thin ice and I am extremely uncomfortable with that. Do you not hear how to use the name of Jesus to gain power over people, how that's a conflicted use of God's name? Now, don't hear me say, I think politicians should be able to be open about their faith. Uh, I, I think we should be able to know what the faith life of a politician is, and they can be honest and share their testimony about what God's doing in their life. But then when it turns a corner and says, vote for me, I am God's person, and the other person isn't, that's dangerous territory where we are using God's name to benefit ourselves, all right? And have you noticed, let's just talk, let, let me just be real. Have you noticed on both sides of the aisle, both sides are doing it, Right? Both sides are saying, oh, God's on our side. Da, 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 da. Let me tell you, God's not on a side of a party. God stands in judgment of everyone. So I am very uncomfortable with the use of God's name to attach to political campaigns and uses. And I think we should be too. I'm not saying we can't look to vote for a Christian person at times. I'm also uncomfortable when people say God's pick got in the White House. Well, what happened last time if you didn't like the president before? Did God's pick get on that and you just didn't like God's pick? Do you see the danger inherent in using God's name flippantly and for purposes that you don't know the depths of? I don't know the person in the White House. I haven't known the, ever known the person in the White House. I don't know what their interior life is. I'm not going to attach God's name to them. You may like or dislike what they do. Any president. I'm not talking about a specific one. But I don't know, so I'm not going to attach God's name to it. And if you really ask me what I think, boy, I'm getting off. I, this was not in my notes. <clears throat> if you really know what I think, I don't know if you get that high in the office on either side of the party and stay a holiness person. So I just don't want to attach God's name to it. In hindsight, we may see how God acted or didn't act, but you better be sure of the depths of your soul. When you attach God's name to something, you're sure. That's all I mean. God may be moving in a way or a certain way, but the prophets were taking on an awesome responsibility and they re realized the judgment of what they were taking on when they said, this is what God's doing. And so we need to have that same fear. And I'm using that word strictly, fear, when we use God's name to attach it. Do you remember what I said? When you use God's name, it better be good news. There's not much good news going on in politics today. So uh, make sure you're using God's name for good news. And the third I would say um, is, uh, have you, you, you may have known this person, just an, what I would say an overuser of God's name. And this is just maybe pastoral advice, but um, if, you, if you find a great sale at JCPenney where you got 20 new shirts, that's a blessing but don't say, boy, God led me to the sale at JCPenney's to go get 20 new shirts. <laughs> right? And that is something funny. But in reality, because the person you're talking to, you don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know if their child has cancer, if they just got divorced. And here you're attaching God's name to something really flippant when they're praying for God to move in their family and they're hurting. That just as a flippant use of God's name, right? Um, so don't be an overuser. We, can, we have so many blessings to praise God for, and we can do that in so many ways, 
But when you start just saying, boy, you know, God this and God that, and we, we start to overuse it, and we need to treat it with holiness and reverence and fear, right? Um, and finally, let me point the finger back at myself and preachers and pastors. Because we're, you know, we're some of the biggest offenders. When I look around and hear what things, how pastors use the name of God so much, um, I wouldn't be up here if I could get out of it. And I'm trying a lot of times to get out of it. I think pastors need to feel an awesome weight and fear when they stand up and are bold enough to speak on behalf of the living God. And I don't take that lightly. Um, and I, I'm afraid, and I would not sit under a pastor who tried to say that every word that came out of his or her mouth was the very word of God. Because um, that's dangerous territory. I believe and I pray and I study very hard every week to make sure my messages are inspired by the word of God. And I pray that the Holy Spirit moves and works in me. But I'm human. And I guess I'm here to say, and maybe you need this even for today, to hear that you can disagree with me. I don't have exclusive claim. The only person that has exclusive claim in the Bible is Jesus on what God says. And the rest of us, as Paul say, see through a mirror dimly lit. And if Paul says that, I'd better be saying that, right? So I'm here to say that I pray and I work hard and I, I'm here trying to be faithful because I know I answer for what I say in this pulpit. And I don't do so flippantly. Um, but would you show me grace too? I'm saying you, you can disagree with me. We don't always have to see eye, 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 eye to eye. I don't always, I always speak clearly either. <laughs> but what I can't do I can't, I, I'm about to say a double negative, forgive me, Marilyn. I can't not proclaim what God, I feel faithfully, puts on my heart, right? Then I'm doing a disservice. Then I'm running from my call. And so if you hear now, I, I take this very seriously, and I'm not trying to ever beat you over the head. Show me grace, and I try to preach grace, you know? I take this very seriously. I I almost throw up when I hear a pastor say, God told me to raise millions for a private jet. I want to vomit. It's disgusting. It is a misuse of God's name. And what does the third commandment say? God will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. All right, if you are like me and you came to close this sermon and I, I was writing this and I was afraid, right? I felt the awesome power and I hope you should too. That's actually not a bad place to be, almost to be scared to utter the name of God. But here, let me close with the good news. God wouldn't have given his name if he didn't want you to have it and know it and use the power of that name. God looks to you and wants you to know the name. He wants you to use the name in creation and in the world for his gospel kingdom purposes. And if you're, you're, you're here today and you've never taken on that responsibility, if you've never said yes to God, if you've never wanted anything to do with God, hear this. 
God loves you and he wants you to bear his name. All you have to do is what? Call upon the name of Jesus. And there's power in it. There's power to transform your life like you never dreamed to live the best life possible, to be free from the power of sin. How? Only by calling on the name of Jesus. And that's good news, that God can transform your life. I hope you've claimed that power in your life and you're living that power and you're following Christ because he's calling you deeper. And if you are a name bearer this morning. If you've said yes to Jesus, if you are following him with all your might, don't be afraid. There is so much goodness and grace and love and beauty and joy to talk about God and what God's done in your life and what God is doing in this church and what God is doing in the world. There's so much goodness to talk about. You're on safe ground. Just don't use, misuse the name of God. And if you're ever wondering, if you're ever stuck, how should I use God's name? What, how does my, God's name speak into the situation in my life? Just go back to Exodus chapter 34 and listen to how God described his own name. Yahweh, Yahweh. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for the thousand generation, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray in these moments as we respond to your word. May you speak to our hearts a word of comfort and peace. May you draw us closer to yourself, and may we be your people who bear your name faithfully. Thank you for entrusting to us the name of the Most High God. It's in Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. As our servers come down and we prepare our hearts for a time of response, I, I simply want you to look within yourself and say, how am I bearing the name of God? Am I bearing the name of God? And when you look at that, when we come down to communion, uh, we, we do so in recognition that there is no way to bear the name of God outside of the faithfulness of Jesus. There is no way to bear the name of God other than the name of Jesus that is higher than every name. What scripture says that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we come to the table and we remember and we receive the grace of Jesus' sacrifice and then we are sent out to do the same. So all I ask you and I invite you down to the table and I invite you to pray at an altar. Are you ready to take on the name of Jesus? As you do so, does it look like Jesus? And if you say, I see some differences, there's grace. There's powerful grace. Come down to the table, receive the grace of God, and you will be transformed and renewed to bear the name faithfully. Amen? Amen. So I invite you to take this time to pray, to seek God's face, to seek his name, and allow him to speak into your life. On the night our Lord was betrayed,
he took bread. And having broken it, he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take, eat, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for you. Take, drink, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. Will you remember the name that is above all names? If you will, come down and receive his grace. Let us continue in a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we are here to be your people. Thank you that you have shed your mercy and your grace on us. And may we simply be faithful to carry on that good news to others around us. May you give us power and strength and, and courage to proclaim the good news of the God who has saved us and redeemed us and has given us his name to call upon. May we bear that name to those who are hurting or suffering, who are far away from you, whose lives are broken. May we speak the name of Jesus into their lives. May we trust your name. May we know that by your name, mountains can crumble, walls can fall, and the good news can go forth and your kingdom will advance by the name of Jesus. May we not be shy about that. May we not be afraid to say that and to believe that and to trust that. And Lord, though, as we think of the third commandment, may we also faithfully never misuse your name, but may we treat it with great reverence and love and the honor it is due. May we show that honor in our lives by how we treat others and how we sacrifice for your kingdom, how closely we follow Jesus, may that reflect our love of you. So work in us. Call us deeper. No matter what stage we are at in the life of discipleship, may you call us deeper and deeper into your love and your mercy. May we be bearers of the good news. Lord, uh, may you be with those who are hurting or struggling today in our congregation. Uh, be with those who are just starting new jobs, uh, those who are recovering from surgery, those who uh, just said goodbye to a family member, Lord, those who have family division and strife, those who are enduring financial stress. We lift up those who are carrying the burden of chronic pain. As we reflected a of thanksgiving of Brother Richard and Brother Ross, Lord, be with those who continue to mourn and miss them. May you be with fathers and children today. We celebrate today, but we also pray for those who today is a hard day, a difficult day. Maybe they're missing their father. Maybe they have a strained relationship with a child. May your grace infect and transform those relationships. Lord, uh, we lift up our district superintendent and the district assembly this week. May your spirit move in that. May you empower the church to advance the kingdom in North Carolina. And may we be faithful in what you have entrusted to us. May you be with the ministries of this church. Expand our ministry outreach, Lord. I, I believe that you are leading us to new ministries 
bigger ways to impact our neighborhood, but may we be faithful in that. Bless the preschool ministry and the NA groups that meet here, Lord, and the food pantry. We thank you for these. We pray that you bless them. We lift up our local and our state and our national leaders, Lord. May you give them wisdom and grace to carry out their duties, and may we treat other nations rightly. We thank you for the peace process that are happening. We pray that peace and reconciliation would spread across the globe. But more importantly, may people come to know the power in the name of Jesus Christ. We love you. Thank you for entrusting the name to us. And it's in that powerful name we dare to pray the prayer that you taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Church family, would you stand with me? Happy Father's Day to all of our fathers. Receive this benediction. Let me give you a little homework to do. I believe in this week as you go through it, you're going to see a need for the power of Jesus' name to come into effect. And I just pray that you would faithfully proclaim the name into that situation. And that may you see the power of Christ move in how you choose to bless and encourage and proclaim the good news. You have that power. May you use it lovingly and reverently.